the Leafs are going to get the puck out at center ice. They don't get it in deep. Now when they do, it comes to Matthews and scores! Well, the Leafs had a bad break on the second goal, and the Flames get a bad break here. They look like they're in good position. It goes off escape. Matthews steps around and snaps at home to cut the lead in half. We didn't play well in the first period. To me, we looked really tight and tentative in that first period. Um, didn't have it, so and even the goal itself is kind of broken play, and then it lands on Austin's stick, thankfully, and he makes no mistake. So yeah, that's that's a big goal for sure. Fun to watch. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, it always feels like, even like you said, when we're down two in the first, that uh, we're never really out of a game because we got some uh, some weapons that can uh, take us out of those holes. I mean, it is factual that they do have multiple weapons that could do that. They just needed the one. Uh, last night. Weapon 34, uh, scoring goals 35, 36, and 37 on the season. Now on pace for over 70 this season. The fact that I can say this like it's plausible is kind of nuts as well. He only needs 13 goals in his next seven games to score 50 and 50. That's all, just 13 in his next seven. You know, almost two goals a game. And I'm sitting here talking about it like it's not a 0% chance because guess what? It's not a 0% chance. He He's incredible. Uh, it was kind of doom and gloomy off the top of the show. That was my fault. Let's just be happy here in terms of uh, how great Austin Matthews is. It's the worst thing to discuss in sports is a guy being great because eventually you run out of superlatives. But it was remarkable. I mean, you heard it from Keith there yeah. last night, the idea of the puck landed on his stick. Uh, I, I'd like to point out he um, you know, was able to pull it uh, between his own legs and through two defenders before it happened to hop on his stick there. Uh, just remarkable. You see it with Matthews. I think the thing that is that makes him such an exciting goal scorer is he can do it in so many different ways. Yes. You're starting to see the the Steven Stamkos, Alexander Ovechkination uh, of Matthews, if you will, where, look, he scores from a lot of different places, but you put him just below the dot on that side, his one-timer side, and he is letting it fly. You saw it on the second goal last night. Great free feed from Willie. He's remarkable. He's so special. He is the greatest leaf of all time, and he just needs to accomplish something to stamp it home. It's it's incredible. Yeah, he's operating from his office over there, just under the the dot there. Like you said, like that. How many goals is he going to score from that spot over the course of his career? It feels like so many have been scored from there already. But I think a third goal was. The most impressive as many as Matt me. Sundin scored yeah. in his career, he will <laughs> yeah. score from just that yeah, spot. Exactly. Um, but I think the third goal for me was the most impressive. Just the ability to use his big body. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you don't expect that out of a guy like that. He's just such a sniper, and he's got yep. such a laser that you're sort of waiting for him to be set up in his office like that. But to be in front of the net and use his big body, push the guy out of the way, backhand it. Like that to me is another element that we could be seeing in the evolution of Austin Matthews is just the physicality. Like we know how good he is with the stick checking and Mm -hmm. the two way game. And we talk about that, but if he can start using his big frame in front of the net to get even more uh, offense, then I mean, he's even more special than, than he already is. I think the thing that's, that's kind of stuck out to me from this run of Matthews or this season. And you know, everybody goes back to the 60 goal year, rightfully so because he's on pace for more than that. So why wouldn't you compare it to that season is, you go back and you know there was there was a a fair amount of curl and drag and ripping it right under the bar, but so many tips, so many little banged yeah. home pucks around the net, and not that he hasn't done that this year, but it feels like the goals have been so much more impressive, so much 
snipery for for lack of a better term he has had his greasy goals you mentioned the third one last night there was one in the game I think it was against Edmonton where he just battles for position in front of the net and he's just eating cross checks from two defenders and guess what he's occupying the space pulls it around the goalie slips it in backhand you haven't seen as many of those this year and I think that's what's been so impressive to me is you know this isn't him just strictly shooting from distance but it felt like he hasn't had nearly as many deflection goals as he had in that 60 goal season. He had a ton of those. And it just seems like he's a guy who obviously he can score in so many varying ways, but it just feels like he's kind of got his spot. And then you throw that in with all the other things he has available to him. It's remarkable. And then also just the gravity of what he creates uh, around him. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the way this Leafs team has been built is two number one lines. I'm sorry. And this is no, I mean, you, you can have the conversation about John Tavares and have a knock on him if you want. This is no knock on him. There's no two first lines on this team anymore. There's a super line, and that's whatever line has Austin Matthews. And then there's a second line. And guess what? That's just fine. But it's it's remarkable how much he has raised his bar just this season alone. Yeah, it's amazing. And you, I think you can look as a team as sort of, when you look at Matthews' production, it can go two ways. It's like, are you going to use that? as sort of fuel and be like, let's, let's not have this guy carry it on mm-hmm. his own. Or do you sort of take a night off and be like, uh, tonight's Austin's night. Like, yeah. let's just let him carry it. And I think in previous years, you know, I would imagine it's pretty hard. There's some times where you just sort of rely on your best player to be your best player and you're not going to have it every single night. So when he's on a heater, like he was last night, you just sort of let him do his thing. But I think when the Leafs are in the spot that they're in right now, where every point is, is so valuable. I think when he has nights like that, it has to have the necessary trickle down effect all throughout the lineup. And yes, you're right. There are no, there's, there's two number one lines. Yeah, sure. Whatever. <laughs> but you do need the production throughout the lineup. You can't look at it and say, okay, Austin's got his and that's good enough. And let's just, you know, sit back. I think what Leaf fans are clamoring for is more production from everywhere else in the lineup. So use that as fuel to try and get even better. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's a clip I want to play from 32 Thoughts in just a second, then we'll talk to to Corey Schneider. But I think the thing that's interesting about what Keefe has done with Matthews, and part of it is what you saw last night, is that, you know, there has been some belief with this team of the way to truly unlock it is to have all those guys driving their own line or only have two of them paired up, and then you have the, you know, Nylander on his own line or Tavares by himself, as you've seen. It's not lost on me that they're, they're sticking with Pontus Holmberg up there. And... That is a way to expand the offense in this lineup yes. is to take somebody like a Matthew Nyes who, you know, he's far from a perfect player right now or anything along those lines. But you take a guy like that, bump him down the lineup. In theory, it should increase the ability to get some offense else there, elsewhere because Matthews, you know, we've talked about it. Nyes can play that role, but the guys that have worked best with Matthews and whatever the winger is on the right side have been guys who just go hump pucks, go get in on the forecheck. You know, I know everyone makes fun of me because I was in the tank for him before he played a game, but there's a reason Michael Bunting worked and it was that he was able to defer and he didn't need the puck all the time and not to say you can't have another good player on that line. But I think the idea of Holmberg being there really allows this team to kind of spread that out the, the way you talk about. Uh, I actually haven't got a, a chance to hear this yet. You know, sorry to real Kipper and Bourne, uh, but we have my favorite show on the station. <laughs> that is real Kipper and Bourne. But then my favorite mm-hmm. hockey podcast is 32 thoughts. We do have the clip. My, my understanding is there's some Leafs. I don't know information being bandied about in it let's all hear together so the teams that are looking for goalies are new jersey carolina um la la colorado colorado possibly edmonton 
Toronto-wise, I heard the problem for Toronto was they mm. wanted to trade like a sixth-round pick or something mm. yeah. for a goalie that could help them while Samsonov was down. No chance. They couldn't get anything. They, mm. they just they couldn't even get traction. And they didn't like anything that was out there. Mm-hmm. And people wanted more than that, and they were like, we're not doing it. By the way, yeah. it's got really hot around Toronto lately. In what sense? Well, uh, people are calling for the coach. Oh, shock. Yeah. I mean... I, I got to say this, like, you know, I, they're down to their third goalie. Yep. Their defense is not what they thought it was going to be. I really wonder if what we're looking at with Toronto, like the thing about Nylander is they decided right before Christmas, like the, the, there's, Nylander basically gave them a number and never really moved far off it. Mm-hmm. And right before Christmas, Toronto decided they were going to do it. It took a bit more time, but they decided they were going to do it. I think they wanted to know what his number was going to be and if it was going to get done because I think Toronto's thinking bigger picture. I don't think this is about this year anymore. I, I think they're thinking that. about where they're going. I, <clears throat> I really wonder if deep down that is an organization that is saying we are not good enough to win this year, we are resetting and we are reshaping our roster mm. and we're going to do that. Fascinating stuff. Uh, you know, I've talked about the idea of a Jake Muzzin trade. Obviously, that's a that's a big swing, and I, I want to be clear what that means. They're not trading Jake Muzzin, but what that trade did for them in terms of resetting things, that was a trade that was about helping the group at the time, but the understanding was that it had a track record there or a, a road ahead that was going to allow him to help that team for, for a while. And, you know, you hear that and you can think it too, you can take it two different ways. You could take it as the thing we've talked about, which I think would be a bad idea, but the idea of just sitting on your hands and kind of going through the motions or you can, and I'll just pick a name, Frank Saravelli threw at us, but it's a name I don't think you can necessarily get. You're Adam Larson type guy who it's okay. That's a middle four defenseman. He's played in the playoffs. He's under contract beyond this year. And maybe that's why it was so important to get the Nylander contract done. So you knew what the parameters you were looking at, not just for this season. Cause I'll, I'll be honest when I'm talking about the cap, I'm not thinking, not, not say I'm not thinking beyond this year, but I'm just talking about Klingberg's money and to a lesser extent, Revo's money. But clearly, based on that clip specifically, the Leafs, if they're going to do anything, I don't think it's your Ilya Labushkin that I've bandied about. It's your, again, I don't think this is going to be the guy, but an Adam Larson type, a guy who can play in your second pair and he's under contract beyond this season, something along those lines. Yeah, based on what we just heard, it it certainly feels like there's a possibility that they, they take some time off and just don't do anything. And that's surprising to me in the sense that, you know, we talked in the first block about Austin Matthews and sort of having a mm-hmm. window with this core. And it gets tougher next year when Nylander's salary goes up after the deal that he just signed. It's not like they're going to have plenty of salary cap room mm-hmm. next year to make something happen. Can you get a little bit creative in the offseason? Yeah, sure. There's always moves to be made, but it doesn't feel like there's a lot of wiggle room there for Brad Living. So I, I just wonder if, you know, hunting this year yeah. because you're you're not off to a great start halfway through the season. I find that an interesting nugget from Elliot. Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, again, that clip we just played you is from the live 32 thoughts pod they did out in uh, Victoria. I believe, I don't think that was technically in Vancouver. I believe in, in Victoria there, but uh, check that out wherever you get your pods hot and fresh this morning. And as happy as I was to bring that all to you, no offense to JD, 
like that ruined what I was going to listen to on the way home. Like, mm. do you know how excited I would have been if I would have been texting Azo going, oh my God, why didn't we have this Fridge clip? So I wanted it, but now I'm upset because now I don't get to listen to it uh, uh, later. Again, Leafs goaltending has been such a topic. We heard the the guys mention it in the in the clip there. We saw what we saw to Martin Jones last night. I imagine we'll see something similar uh, on Saturday night tomorrow against the Canucks. And then entirely possible that Ilya Samsonov is uh, is is the guy they go to on uh, on Sunday. Uh, uh, let's bring in our next guest to talk to uh, talk to about the Leafs goaltending and uh, a very, very hot Vancouver Canucks team right now. This Insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Pleased to be joined now by former NHL goaltender, current analyst for the NHL Network, host of the one-time All-Stars podcast, along with Brian Boyle, Corey Schneider joining us now. Uh, Corey, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you doing today? Hey, man. Good, Brent. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, always happy to. Uh, we had John earlier this year and uh, loved, loved the chat, so uh, happy happy to get you back on. And quite frankly, we've had Boyle on this year and loved the chat, so you guys are uh, batting, <laughs> a thousand, batting a thousand so far. Uh, Leafs goaltending has been a yeah. Leafs goaltending has been a hot topic. I, I'm pretty sure I asked you about Martin Jones first time we had John in terms of just him kind of finding his footing. What did the Leafs potentially have available in him? We've seen a run from him now. I mean, he's played quite frankly. I'm not going to say above what he expected, but above what a lot of people I think would expect of him. Uh, you are starting to see a a bit of a I won't say a return to form, but you know the numbers have normalized a, a, a little bit. What do you've made of uh, Martin Jones and what you've seen? of him uh, between the pipes in Toronto? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been really impressed. I think he's given them everything they could have hoped for and more. Um, when you have a number three goalie, that's what you're asking for. It's kind of like the back of a quarterback. You know, you want him to come in and steady the ship, kid you through the rough time without your starter. And I think he's done that and then some. I think he's almost in, in some ways saved their season just with the way, you know, Sam Stonoff struggled and had his issues. Um, you know, a lot of teams don't survive when their top two goalies aren't playing. So, uh, you know, again, eventually you get exposed to the league enough and you know, your numbers might come down. You might hit a rough patch, but um, I, you know, I don't think they could have asked for a whole lot more out of uh, Martin Jones when they signed him. You talk about hitting a rough patch and Ilya Samsonov, it's been a, an obvious struggle for him all season long. When you hit a rough patch like that as an NHL netminder and your confidence takes a hit, and in his case, he goes down uh, to the AHL to try and figure things out. Like, how do you get things back on track? I imagine that's the hardest thing when you go through some struggles to sort of find yourself and, and find what, what it is that got you there. So uh, what, what strategies, maybe when you were going through some struggles, how do you get back on track? Yeah, you know, it's something I've dealt with my, in my career, you know, going down to the minors, uh, trying to rediscover your game. And, um, you know, it, it, people make it sound pretty easy. Go, you're going to go to the minors and just play better and come back up. But, but the American League, it's, it, A, it's a tough league. And, B, it's a little more uh, scrambly for goalies. Mm. It's harder to predict if uh, the defenders aren't quite as good. You're kind of giving up chances and getting goal scoring you're not used to. So it could take a few games down there to sort of really get used to the style of play. So for Sam Stonoff, it's not that simple. It's just going and playing a couple of games and, feeling good because sometimes you go down and get shellacked and you feel bad, even worse about yourself. So um, a lot of it's mental. It, it does all between the years. You said confidence. Uh, when things are going good, it, it just, everything makes sense to you as a goalie. It all just, everything just happens the way it's supposed to. You're ahead of it. You're reading it and everything's comfortable. As soon as you lose that confidence or that belief in yourself that you can read the game the way you used to, like none of it makes sense. So it's almost like you're guessing you're behind, you're late. You just feel unsure of yourself. So it is a tough feeling to, to shake. So, you know, the hope is that you get a couple of good ones under your belt and you start remembering those mental physical cues that, you know, you're used to when you play well. So it's, it's, it can be a long road. Not everyone can just turn around in a few games. It could take weeks or months, but you know, hopefully with Martin Jones playing well and, and Joe Wall coming back and 
it'll give him some time. It'll buy him a few weeks maybe, and then you never know. Other guys might get hurt. Other guys might struggle, and you might need him again at the end of the year. So, you know, hopefully he has the time here to, to get back to his game. That's the crazy thing about goaltending. I think even the people who have been the most down on him this year, including himself, quite frankly, would say, oh, I'm not ruling out the possibility that this guy's a, a number one for this team again at some point in time because, you know, confidence does feel like such a roller coaster. I, you know, I, I feel like I know the answer to this question, but why would I presume when I could just a- ask you, somebody who would know, he, he had far from a stellar outing in coming back from Detroit, but he had a moment late in the third. He makes a huge huge save and then a minute or two later the wings are up and they never look back they go on to win that game how much different would he be feeling about himself if the game kind of goes the exact same way just from his performance perspective but the Leafs are able to score a few more and and they end up getting the win like even if he has the exact same game performance wise how much different would a guy potentially feel about that just knowing he was able to get his team the win even again if he plays no differently and they're just able to score a few more goals yeah, that's the, that's the fine line. It's the tough part about it because at the end of the day, you're there to win. And the team wants you to win no matter how you play, as long as you, you get that win. I think sometimes as a goalie, though, you have to emphasize the process more over the results. Because as you said, you could stand on your head and, you know, stop 48 out of 50 and lose 2-1. to one. You know, do I focus on the loss or do I focus on how my game was and how I played? So for Samsona, I'm sure for Curtis Sanford, who, you know, I played with at some points, they're talking about that and say, hey, look, man, you know, that big save right there, that's you, that's, that's who you are. And I think as a goalie, when you make like a big save that you don't expect to, it can give you a little bit of confidence because sometimes going through the game, you're like, man, am I going to make that save? Am I going to make that difficult, you know, high danger chance save? So I think when you finally make one, it sort of settles you down. You're like, all right, I made a big save. I made a good one. Uh, I know I can do this. So, you know, again, I think for him right now, I know he wants results and wins, but I think the team is more looking at his process. And if he looks more like himself now than he did before, that's encouraging because if you do play that way again, knowing the Leafs and, you know, the, the offense that they can produce, uh, you will win more often than not. So I think he's got to focus more on how he played versus how the game went. I feel like in the National Hockey League now, there's just more of a reliance on having more than one goaltender going uh, throughout the regular season than, you know, back in the 90s or the early 2000s. There was always one goalie that sort of made it for your organization. And if that guy struggled, you were kind of in some serious trouble. But now it seems like, well, the one guy's not going. You have a backup that can sort of do uh, the job for you. Like, Where do you see the goalie uh, position now? Because it, it feels like the days of having one guy to just carry your entire franchise are sort of gone. And you need more than one guy if you're going to go to the promised land. You look at the Vegas Golden Knights last year uh, in the postseason, just multiple goaltenders being thrown at you and they didn't miss a beat. So where, where do you see the goaltending position uh, now and moving forward? Yeah, I mean, the entire position has evolved even since I, you know, was in my prime or 10 years ago. Um, it's the game so much more dynamic. Um, the, the offensive skill and talent is just, it's just through the roof, and you don't have the bottom six anymore, <laughs> you know, quote-unquote. Even the bottom six guys are skilled. They can all shoot it and yeah. make plays. It's not the fourth-line grinders who play four minutes a night. So it's you're, you're constantly under duress. You can never take a minute off. I think that's why, you know, I think it's become more this way because of the mental toll. It's just mentally exhausting. Uh, playing at that that level all the time. I think the expectations have changed. I think, you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago, you could circle on your calendar games you're going to win. You know, all right, we're going to win this one, we're going to win that one, you know, good team. And now it's, it's a, every night's a dogfight. The coach is coached to win that night. They don't, you know, coach to win the game next week. So if your guy's hot, you're going to ride them. Um, the goalie, you look at it, you know, the Islanders right now, my Islanders in New York, they're, they're playing Sorokin through the ground because Farley got hurt and they, they're not sure about their. Uh, number three guys. So I think that shows you why the importance of depth is huge because a, the injuries are more B the, 
mental and physical tolls more. But, you know, I think a big part of it for me is that guys don't really defend the way they used to. There's not as much of an emphasis on, on defense and mm-hmm. um, stealthing your goalie and protecting him and, you know, trying to eliminate chances. I think, you know, it's a fun offensive league right now, but that lack of defensive structure is uh, it's stressful on the goalie, especially in your own end or off the rush. So I think, again, you need to give guys resets or breaks or just, you know, let them hop out for a game or every three or four games and, and get the other guy in there. So, it's tough though, because you know there's 32 teams, so that's 96 goalies theoretically. You need to carry that second play. Yeah. Just, you know, for me, I, I don't know if there are that many NHL caliber goalies. So uh, I think, like I said, the Leafs are pretty lucky to have Martin Jones as their three a guy who you know has played in the league a long time. Boy, are they! I mean, they've they've had times where uh, you know they did it as like a, basically a make a wish to the kid, but it's like they've thrown University of Toronto goaltenders in there in the past, and I'm not joking about that. That did happen last year. So yeah, you talk about Martin Jones, and it certainly has been a lot thinner here, and it has been thinner elsewhere in in the league. Uh, you know, we're coming off the back of uh, Matthew's spectacular night from him. He puts on the cape. It's a hat trick. He throws in an apple there. He, he basically single handedly wins the game for the Leafs. You've played with some guys who are capable of that. Be it the Sadie. Team, uh, twins in Vancouver. You were there in New Jersey for for Taylor Hall's MVP season. What is it like? And you know, I imagine it's a little bit of a different perspective for a goaltender than a skater. But what's it like playing on a team with guys like that who can just kind of at the snap of the finger? I won't say whenever they want because if they did, they wouldn't score seventy. They'd score one hundred and seventy <laughs> like Wayner. Sure. But it, it does feel like they can just kind of turn it on and take over a game at any given moment. What's it like when you have that in the room? It's special, and I think that's what you have to remember as fans and, and media, like how special this is. You know, we all talk about it, and it's easy to take that kind of skill and greatness for, for granted, but when you see it every night, especially the goalie, um, watching guys score is awesome because it gives you more <laughs> You know, it gives, makes you feel good about, you know, possibly winning the game, but yeah, those, I mean, you know, you've had Austin win an MVP there already, so you guys kind of know what that season looks like, but mm-hmm. it's, just, it's, it's that feeling as a player that anytime you need something to happen, they're able to make it happen, you know. Like you said, I was with Halsey in his MVP season, Henrik in his MVP season, so it's just one of those things where anytime you need something to happen, they just find ways to make it happen, and I think that gives you some belief as a team. Um, you don't want to be relying on them all the time, you know. You don't want to sit there and say, okay, like, you go do it, but um, I think it does give you that sense of security or that, if we can get a couple others, you know, if other guys can chip in some, then, you know, Austin's going to do his thing and we're going to have a good chance. So, um, yeah, it's just always when you're watching, it's easy to forget about it. But, you know, players like this don't come along and seasons don't come like, along like this very often. So you just have to enjoy it regardless of the outcome sometimes. This isn't where I wanted to end the conversation with you, but I have such a soft spot for the guy in, in Taylor Hall. I was in Windsor when he was winning a couple of Memorial Cups there. You know, I'm sure you could point to, you know, a handful of other guys. Maybe you feel this way about yourself. But is there any guy in recent NHL history that you just wish you could give a do-over to on his career? Which is a weird thing to say about a guy who's won an MVP. But it feels like he is, you know, it's almost like a a golfer who talks about, ah, I could have been better than that 83. I left so many putts short out there. That's almost what Taylor Hall's career has felt like just because of the injuries and, you know, the trade out of Edmonton. And obviously it worked out well in the short term there, but goes to Chicago, gets hurt. It, it, It just feels like for a guy who has had an awesome NHL career, it's almost like the worst version of it that that could have existed. Do you understand what I'm saying there, Corey? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Again, you know, I think when it's all said and done, you ever look back and revisit, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I know Taylor wouldn't think of it that way. Um, You know, and none of it's really been of his doing. He's done. No, totally. He's played it. He's played well. He's played hard. Um, You know, I think he was a little aligned in Edmonton, but I know he enjoyed his time there. He loved, playing there and playing with those guys in spite of the results. I know he wanted to do better, but um, yeah, I mean, he didn't ask to get traded to New Jersey. You know, he didn't get asked to trade to Arizona or to Chicago, you know, so it's, 
it's not like he's this guy who's forcing his way out of places and bouncing around the league. So, it, you know, it is tough. I mean, when he was at his peak there in his MVP season, a lot of the seasons around there, you know, before and after that season, he was one of the top players in the league. So I think we forget about that pretty quickly. Um, you know, so it's we'll see how he does coming back from this knee injury. But, you know, hopefully he makes a full recovery and can get back to the level that uh, he's capable of because, you know, I know he was happy in Boston. He loved it there, and they had a chance to win it all. So, you know, if they win it all last year, does that change the narrative of his story? You know, it's like, it's you know, it's something that I sort of dealt with, too, in terms of the what-ifs. And, you know, well, you know, you don't really get to choose your story sometimes. You sort of have to have to just deal with what's given to you and, and make the best of it. I know he will. So, um, but, yeah, it will be an interesting career to sort of, you know, dissect when it's all said and done. But hopefully he's has got a few more good years left in him to, you know, kind of, Right, his own ending. Yeah, I, I like I said, I'm completely in the tank for the guy. I would love to see that. And God, you mentioned the Boston trade. I forgot about that one. I wanted the Leafs in on that so so bad. <laughs> uh, Any, anyway, but I, uh, I don't need to tell a guy from Marblehead uh, how well that worked out. You know, we we have some fun <laughs> with our Canadian town names up here, a Flynn Flon and Moose Jaw and whatever else you want to go. But Marblehead's pretty good. And I know I'm not saying it right, but I didn't want to go full Max. No, you, you, you nailed you nailed it. And uh, <laughs> I mean, you can say Marblehead. The there you, there you go. That's but, what I was uh, looking my for. Buddy brought, my buddy, my buddy Brian on the podcast gave you a hard time about this. I never thought about it, but I guess Marblehead is a funny name, so i got to explain myself with that. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, Corey, absolutely love, love, love getting you on. Uh, hopefully we, we can bug you again uh, a couple weeks down the line. All right, guys, you got it. Thanks for having me on. There he goes. Uh, Corey Schneider, absolutely love, love, love that chat. Uh, that insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Calm. Uh, love that chat. I love an NHL chat that takes us a million different places. We got to touch on goaltending. Got to talk about Austin Matthews. I got to opine on you know my favorite Windsor Spitfire of all time. <laughs> Sorry, Zach Cassie and Taylor Hall. Uh, so yeah, I am. Uh, I, I am. Uh, I'm loving life here. Also, I want to let you know ahead of the 2024 Rogers NHL All Star Game this year, we'll be giving away family four packs of tickets to the NHL Fanfare coming to Toronto February 1st through the 4th. Just listen for the daily code word in this episode of the fam morning show today until January 26th and then text it to 590-590 to be entered for your chance to win. Today's code word is Rogers Hardest Shot. Our next code word will be in Monday's episode. However, tickets for the fanfare are also available for purchase at NHL.com slash fanfare. That is well supplies last. Uh, it's been a loaded show. We're not done yet. The inventor of bang, Mike Breen joins us next. A lot to get into, including a Raptors tilt with the Knicks coming up, a team he knows pretty, pretty well. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll get him to look back on the 2019 finals. He certainly had a good seat for it. Mike Breen joining us next. Fan Morning Show continues the Gunning and Rubinoff on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Look at both trades, you know, like I think we accomplished a couple things, you know, like that we're trying to do. Um, if you put them together, um, young players, picks, and flexibility. In some of the trades and things you hear, you know, like on Twitter or on social media, I, I'm not getting those calls. Yeah, so the marketplace varies and changes, you know, like at different times. That's just the nature of the NBA and the nature of our jobs. And um, this is what was there uh, for us, and we measured it with what was there for us uh, in the past. And 
it was consistent and we decided to move on it. Masai Ujiri speaking in the aftermath of the Pascal Siakam trade, a trade that has been long been bandied about. At the very least, in Raptors circles, we saw smoke start to percolate in NBA circles, as it, as it always does, from an Adrian Wojnarowski tweet. Sean Strani also following it up. And then, uh, guess what? A day later. Uh, Pascal Siakam no longer a Raptor. It's the second big trade that they've made this year, the first of which saw OG and Anobi heading to New York. And, uh, well, if he's going to head to New York, we should too. Uh, very, very happy to be joined by our last guest of the week. And who better to end the week with than Mike Breen, lead voice of the NBA on ESPN and ABC. Mike, uh, thanks so much. Really, really happy to have you on today. Hi, Brent. How are you doing today? Hey, we're, we're doing well. I mean, you know, I, I want to talk about the league at large, but I got somebody on like yourself and, you know, th- there's a, there's a handful of iconic play-by-play calls in sports. You know, we, we have them, we have them here. Everyone has their local guy, but your, your bang is, is up there. I mean, I, uh, everyone in this market thoroughly enjoyed the Raptors championship run <laughs> and Hey, we love our guy Devlin who was calling it here, but Hearing a bang from Fred Van Vliet or a Kyle Lowry, it just hit differently uh, in those finals. So I got to say, it's just uh, it's an honor to have you on today, Mike. Oh, my, my pleasure. It was, um, I have such fond memories of that run. Uh, I, I've always said that for me, um, the first championship for any city or the first championship in a long time, there's just something special about it. Um, and that 2019 run to, to see the way the fans reacted and what it meant to them, um, it was a great, great thrill for me. It was the same thing when Cleveland won um, 2016, when Milwaukee won it. Now, it wasn't their first, but it was their first in 50 years. It's just uh, the way the fans embrace and what it means to them, to the city, and in, in your guys' case, and to the, to the country, uh, was a great experience for all of us who covered it. I didn't. Uh, I didn't intend to go here, but while we're talking about that, what do you think it's done for for the NBA? I mean, the NBA doesn't need to, you know, grow the game or, or gain any new fans. They're always trying to, but it, that thing kind of comes about organically. But we came out of an era in the NBA where, you know, it wasn't necessarily the case, but a lot of people thought they could tell you who were going to play in the finals for three, four straight years before the season tipped off. And then, like you mentioned, it you have a Raptors championship, a Lakers, a Bucks, uh, you know, back to the Warriors, but then the Nuggets again. What do you think it does for the league? to as opposed to have the almost preset finals that we had in the LeBron Curry era there for for a while to have you know a little bit more of a a toss-up at least in terms of who could ultimately win it all right now there's no question when when you have multiple fan bases feel this is their year it just brings about an excitement from arena to arena but it goes in cycles and and quite frankly it's good both ways I, I I love the years where there's 10 teams that you think have a legitimate chance to win a title and another five to seven that could do some damage in the playoffs. But there's also something to be said. And sometimes these years are fun when there's only one or maybe two teams that you think, okay, they're the only ones that can really win it. But that, that um, knocking off Goliath aspect to it, where can somebody topple this great team um, this dynasty, this juggernaut, there's something that's really fun about that because we all love to cheer the underdog on. Um, so either way you can find some enjoyment out of it, but I, I agree with you. And a year like this year too, there's, there's a number of teams that you think can come out of the West. There's three or four teams in the East that, that, uh, you know, have a shot. So when you get up to about 10 teams that have a, a legitimate chance, it, it, to me, it just makes for a more exciting playoff run when they begin because there's the unknown of it. 
Yeah, there's no shortage of uh, storylines in the NBA this year. There's no shortage of skill either. Guys are putting up astronomical numbers, Mike. You call a lot of the stars on the national games, obviously. The offense has been just through the roof this season. Is is there a favorite player or a couple players or maybe even a team that and you're not you're not biased but that you like to watch just because there's been there's been such a a, a skill being put forth on a night night in night out basis like you have a guy like Joel Embiid averaging 35 a game and every single night it feels like Jokic has a triple double like you're seeing something that I think is special on a night in night out basis in this league right now you know, it's, it's funny you bring that up because um, I was talking about that during a timeout last night. I did a game, uh, a Nick game last night, and you're amazed at the, the skill level that's that's in the league right now, and especially young players. Um, you know, five years ago, guys are hitting shots that, uh, or guys now are hitting shots that five years ago, you would say, that's a terrible shot. What, a, what an awful <laughs> shot selection. But they're going in on a regular basis. The, the, the three-point range now has become to a point where it's really difficult to play defense in the NBA because you have to guard so much more of the court than you did, you know, five to ten years ago. And it used to be there'd be one or two guys that have this kind of range. Now there's like four or five guys per team that has the range. Now I, I wish we'd take less threes sometimes mm-hmm. because I love the the, um, the strategy of post play. Um, and to see big men like a Jokic, and that's the beauty of Jokic and Embiid, uh, and that they, they both have kind of brought back post-play again. Uh, but the skill level now is off the charts, and it's to the point where it's, it makes it very difficult. You can have teams play really good defense and still give up 120 points in a game. Crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it's remarkable. Uh, if you're going to talk about good defense and you talk about calling a Knicks game, uh, my mind immediately goes to OG Ananobi now. Uh, have you been surprised at all of what you've seen from the player? What have been your, your first impressions? Because, you know, he's a weird one. He was on that Raptors championship team, but in name only. He was hurt throughout the entirety of the run, and he certainly has had his moments, but not in that championship run. Uh, it seems like he's slotting in kind of perfectly to that third guy role, uh, teaming up with, with Brunson and Randall there. What have you seen out of Ananobi and the, the bit you've got to see him since the trade? I'm not surprised uh, because I've watched him over the years, uh, but I think the way you put it, he's the perfect fit. We overuse that, that, uh, that phrase when, when we talk about trades too much, but in this case, it really is the perfect fit. Um, he played a, another excellent game last night. Um, he just competes so hard every night. And um, it, it's the uh, the comment about, you know, he wasn't part of the championship run in the playoffs. Fred Van Vliet actually addressed that the other day, that the Rockets were in town in New York to play the Knicks. And he felt that was a motivating factor uh, for OG in that because he, you know, he certainly he, he helped them get to the playoffs and was a big part of the, you know, the overall team. But he thinks it's a motivation because he missed out on being, you know, an, an active part of that playoff run. And I found that interesting. And, and I would imagine that because, you know, I don't know he's very quiet, but at the same time, you see when he's out there, um, he just, he embraces that defensive challenge every night. He, he wants to be part of the team. It's all about the team first and winning. And um, he really has fit perfectly with, with uh, Jalen Brunson and, uh, and Julius Randle. Yeah, so we we talk about the fit, and it's funny. That's why that's why his name got bandied about in trades so much over the last handful of years. Is 
go ahead, show me the team that he doesn't fit on. He's a he's a three and D wing who can defend anybody and you know can have the ball if you need him to, but doesn't need to have it all the time. Uh, in terms of you know, we always talk about the NBA in terms of team ceilings, and we get so bogged down in championship or bust. And not that every organization shouldn't try to be winning a championship, but where are the Knicks kind of you know realistic aspirations in that? Because you know we always think of best player on a championship team. It was such a topic we had here in Toronto with even a guy like Pascal Siakam and I think ultimately people kind of realize that if that's the best player you're going to fall short uh, I don't know that that's the case with Brunson or or Randall but I also don't know that that's somebody that people kind of put on a short list when you say this guy can lead a team to the promised land well, what do you think the Knicks ceiling is and how much did the Ananobi trade if it all change it uh, I think it, I think it raised it um, again because you can't just you can't just throw a collection of talent or high-profile scores together and expect it to work. The NBA history is littered with teams that tried to do that that didn't come close to winning the mm-hmm. championship. Um, it's still a five-man game. It's still a game where if five players are working together uh, on their on their strengths, um, they can overcome a collection of talent. Now, with that said, it's it's almost impossible to win a title without a legitimate star. Is Jalen Brunson that legitimate star? I think he's heading that way. I think he's I think he's one of the best players in the league in terms of his overall package, um, and he keeps getting better. So, you know, to say a team is is not going to win because they don't have that quote unquote all NBA player um, or that that you know mega star, uh, I, there's a point to that. But at the same time, we've seen other teams able to get through it. I mean, look at. That Piston team that won yeah. a title. Chauncey Billups, a great player. Richard Hamilton, a great player. But it doesn't happen very often. Um, but that team was 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 so connected that they could overcome what might be perceived as uh, lesser talent uh, than another star-studded team. As for the Knicks, like ceiling, um, I think they go into the playoffs thinking they can beat any opponent in a seven-game series, whether that be Boston, whether that be Philadelphia or Milwaukee. Those are the three top teams, obviously, in the East. But the key is to win a championship. You have to do that multiple series, mm-hmm. and that's what makes it difficult. But I think teams like like the Knicks, teams like Miami, um, teams like even you can, the, when Cleveland is whole and playing well, um, they're teams you don't want to play in a playoff series. Um, other teams have shown that they can win multiple playoff series. So that's, that's the key on the difference there. Uh, and I think the Knicks are in that category where – they can beat any one of the top teams in the playoff series. There's no question. But uh, the question is, can they do it multiple series? Can they beat Boston and Milwaukee? And that remains to be seen. Uh, they might need another, uh, another player in terms of you know, a little more star power, especially in those tense final three minutes of a fourth quarter of a playoff game where you have to have that special player who can overcome any defense that's thrown at a team. Yeah, Fan Morning Show talking to Mike Breen here. And yeah, it does kind of go back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation here. The idea that, yeah, it's look, it's great when there's juggernauts in sports and you got one or two great teams, but this is what parity looks like, right? It's a team like the Knicks can easily uh, kind of sell themselves on that vision. Uh, again, going back to the OG and Anobi trade, we know quickly and Barrett coming back to Toronto. Uh, I want to get your impressions of, of Barrett. I mean, quickly, it seems like everybody's more or less on the same page of what to expect from him here and, and what he's given. Barrett seems like a little bit more of a, uh, 
eh, this isn't quite the right word I want to use, but a, a more divisive player. It seems like people have differing opinions on him. Uh, it's been glowing returns here in Toronto, obviously, with it being a bit of a homecoming. It, it's super comfortable for him. The fact that there's an obvious role here is helping him out as well. But well, what did you make of uh, R.J. Barrett's tenure in New York uh, from what you were able to see? Well, if you don't mind, I, I first want to say I, I've been doing, announcing Nick games for, for over 30 years now. And those two are two of the finest young men that, that I've ever come across in all my years mm-hmm. doing the Knicks uh, because of the kind of teammates they are, the kind of professionals they are, um, their dedication to their craft and, and becoming the best player they can be. It's, you can throw all those cliches out. I was sad to see the trade from a personal standpoint. Uh, I just have, have such crazy respect for both of them as players and as men. Um, so the Raptors are going to fall in love with how these guys already have everything they have yeah. to the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too late. okay. Glad to hear it. And and like you said about quickly, quickly, uh, the Knicks do feel that loss. They don't have anybody in the second unit that can do with what he did. And and I'm I'm thrilled that he gets a chance now to run his own team. As for Barrett, this is the thing I've said from 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 day one with Barrett. Whatever his ceiling is, whatever his max potential is, he's going to reach it because that's where his work ethic is. Mm. Um, He's going to be the best player that he's supposed to be. He's not going to fall short of his potential. Now, what that potential is, that still remains to be seen. Um, He got, in my opinion, so much better this year because he, he understood the Brunson Randall, that those were kind of numbers one and two. And that's not easy for a young player who wants to make a name for himself and be an all-star, but he put himself into, all right, what's my best role on this particular night? Some nights I'm not going to score 16. Some nights I'm going to score 25. And I think that's where his growth was a little bit this year. Now with the the Raptors, he's got a chance to score more. And as you can see, he can score in diverse ways. The only thing that's held him back from being an all-star is he just doesn't have a consistent perimeter game. Uh, He'll have a five-game stretch where he shoots the lights out from three. Then he'll have a five-game stretch where he struggles a bit. But the beauty of Barrett is he doesn't let that affect him in the other aspects of the game, and he'll figure out other ways to score. Uh, he just Every year he keeps getting better and better. We all want our, our star players to burst on the scene and be stars right away. Sometimes it takes a little longer. Sometimes it takes five or six years before you find that niche, before you realize you know what makes me the best player I can be. And again, I can guarantee you that he will reach his potential, whatever that is. Yeah, we're excited to watch both of them grow here. Uh, Mike, you called the Lakers game earlier this week. There was a stat, I believe, on the broadcast. Uh, LeBron has played against 35% of all players in NBA history, (laughs) which was unbelievable to see. Uh, The Lakers maybe not where they want to be, but LeBron has provided us with some of the great plays and moments in NBA history, many of which you were on the call for. Does it ever get old, even at uh, 39 years of age, watching LeBron James? Um, never. Uh, and I actually said this to him once recently, um, that it, it's, it's an honor to call his games, to sit there courtside and watch him, uh, perform and every year just perform at this level. Um, that, that even, and the way I put it is at age 39, he's having a year right now that there are n- many members in the hall of fame whose best year doesn't equal what he's doing at age 39. It's amazing. And when you think about it, it's, it's incredible. And this, the stat that you, you brought up is it's, it's madness. The fact that in the history of the league, 35% have played to him. The other, my other favorite stat of him, 
So he has more 50-point games than he has single-digit scoring games. He scored 50 or more 14 times in his career. He scored less than 10 eight times in his career. And you think about with all the travel, all the injuries, all when you're banged up, to have all this and have have only have eight single-digit scoring games, it's just... It's ridiculous. And we'll never see a player like him because players, first off, they won't play this long anymore because the money now you don't have to play as long unless you get somebody like LeBron James who's still at this age, at this stage, with all he's accomplished, with all the money he's made, he still loves going out on the court and playing basketball. And that's the thing that I've always admired about. It's still, he has still have a, has a kid's love of the game uh, that keeps him motivated to put the work in to make sure he's prepared physically to play every night. Yeah, uh, that's, I mean, I could sit here and listen to, I mean, I could listen to anybody gush about LeBron all day, but you specifically, uh, given the seat you've had for some of these moments, I, I could do it. But if we're, if we're going to, you know, uh, you know, put some things in perspective here, can we just talk about Steph Curry? I, you know, this is, they're far from tied at the hip. LeBron was here before him. Who knows? He may be here after him, but they're always going to be kind of tied for that era of NBA basketball. Uh, what have you made of seeing the Warriors this year? And, you know, no great organization is able to stay great forever, but uh, it's certainly been a challenging year in, in Golden State. Uh, no, no question. By the way, I feel the same way about Curry. It's, it's a privilege to sit there and call his games and watch, watch the growth of his career, watch how, again, still this late in his career, it just still means, means so much to him. He still plays with that, that hunger, still puts in the exact same amount of time and making sure that, that uh, his shot is correct. Um, he's just an incredible young man as well. But they're facing right now some pretty big decisions because it just looks like it's it's not going to happen this year. And they feel they, you know, as an organization, they feel with Curry still playing at this great level that they can be in a in a championship contender status. Now, obviously, the the injuries have played a major part of it, but they might have to make some decisions before the trading deadline. And it's hard to to pull the plug on, you know, one or two guys who've been part of this dynasty. Um, and say for the big picture, for the long term, we might have to deal somebody now. Uh, it's the hardest thing, I think, for any general manager who has to make that decision, um, especially somebody who's meant so much to the fans and to the organization. But often, if you hold on to that player one year too late, um, then it can really set you back for a while. So I'll be curious to see if they're going to make some changes, whether it's they trade one of the veterans, whether they trade one of these younger guys who haven't really been able to take that next step and be a consistent force like a Kaminga or a Moody. Um, and I think that's going to tell the tale how the, the um, front office decides to, to handle this upcoming trade deadline, whether or not they're going cashing all in and saying we need to win a championship now before Curry starts to decline because he hasn't yet. Um, and that's, that's every organization comes to that point, and, and it's a difficult one to, to make those decisions. Yeah, it's a hard thing to, to keep it going, but it's a, it's an even harder thing to know maybe when to uh, pull the shoot a little bit. Uh, Mike, uh, like I said, I could do this all day, but, you know, you're Agreed. a busy man, so we won't keep you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Really, really appreciate it. Hey, Brent and Jess, thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, enjoy those two guys. Uh, hard change quickly. <laughs> I can't wait for tomorrow night. Uh, because the garden is going to, they're going to greet both of them with, uh, with a lot of love. That's for sure. That is, uh, that's awesome to hear and well-deserved and, uh, you'll be great on the call. I am sure as well. Uh, there he goes, Mike Breen.
bang, you might, you might even say. Uh, that was a aw- thrill. Awesome to get him on. Like, he is... There's a handful of guys in sport that are just the soundtrack for it. I mean, you know, I've been I've been lucky enough to work with Joe Bowen, who's been the soundtrack to so much of my life. Holy yeah. Mackinac, right? Bob Cole, been lucky enough to talk to him. For basketball, that's, that's the guy for for me, for my my age, my generation. Like, I close my eyes and, you know, you, you, you sure, you throw Marv Albert in there. No regard for human life. And Harlan's had <laughs> some awesome too. calls too, right? But. Yeah. You, you close your eyes and think of basketball. You think of Mike Breen. And uh, also, like, how many guys get to be local guy for, you know, maybe not the most storied, I guess you go Celtics or Lakers, but one of the most lore-filled home franchises. Garden, yeah. Home yeah. games at the Garden. Oh, and just all the big-time national games. Uh, thrill and really good insight from him on kind of this era of NBA that we've seen. And it's funny with the era talk of, you know, Pascal and everything leaving there. It, it does feel like with LeBron and Curry getting as as old as they are, that's quite the end of an era we're yeah. going to see too. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, during yesterday's Raptors broadcast, you know, Scotty Barnes had just a crazy block and Brad Faye uh, mm-hmm. said, you know, God, my, I, love, I love Brad Faye too. Yeah, just want to get that on record. Yeah. <laughs> he said, you know, the stakes obviously are, were not as high, but the Barnes block yeah. sort of reminded him of the LeBron one. And, and that was one of Mike Breen's just iconic, iconic calls. So funny. Mark, Mark in uh, in Bronny's first uh, LeBron James Jr. Yeah. Uh, for those of you not up on on USC basketball, when he had his first uh, appearance this year, he had a chase down block. Yeah, and I I don't know if I'm mad or I commend the restraint of the play by play guy to not go blocked by James because <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have been able to not to uh, quite quite frankly. Awesome show, loved having you Thanks, in buddy. with me. Uh, quickly. What are we expecting from the Leafs? We thinking a split, 0-2, 2-0. What do you got? Not big split. Okay, that feels about right for me as well. That's Jesse Rubinoff. I'm Brent Gunning. Bunk is going to charge in here momentarily, I think. It's Sportsnet 5.9 in the fan. Keep on listening.